0: height, speed, athleticism and we'll worry about the weight later that's why we've got a strength coach and a nice training table and all kinds of help down there in that room with beautiful weights to lift.
1: I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the Devil Town. All right,
2: Devil's Junkie Podcast. We are sitting in ASU's media room right now, just fresh off an hour and a half long conversation with Al Luganbill, who is uh, taking over a lot of the player evaluations and stuff that's going on for for Arizona State. They have a whole department that is essentially evaluating. whether or not players will translate uh, to, to the next level. And um, very candid, very honest, uh, very interesting conversation. And so I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have Hodor Vino, Devil's Digest, here with me. I guess just what, what are your initial impressions of Al Luganville and what he's going to bring to the table for ASU? Well, I think uh, that uh, the fact that he's been in the recruiting business for so long um, is
3: just an absolute asset for Arizona State to have. And the fact that he actually was a former coach here at Arizona State, you just you like to think that the school really has um, a special um, uh, place in his heart. And then the fact that he's able to come here um, has relationship with the pre- previous relationship with the school, um, knows from Edwards. It seems like you know when, from his first days of coaching the NFL, uh, and not something just known him from ESPN. Um, I think a lot of factors really made it made sense for for and Bill uh, 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 to come over here. And um, look, I mean, uh, I. Criticized or praised, Randerson really was making the Scrum Edwards higher and out of the box higher. Um, and I think bringing somebody like Al Luganbill, which I doubt any Pac, PAC uh, 12 school has anybody in a director or player personnel position with that wealth of knowledge as an Al Luganbill, uh, to, to bring somebody like that is just um, evidence to the, to the forward thinking that Arizona State really has employed with restructuring their um, football uh, uh, football program. Uh, from A to Z whether it'll work or not. I mean, it's obviously way too early in the process but um, but I, I like the fact that you have somebody with um, With a lot with those decades and decades of experience uh, coming over here And really I think I can strike that fine balance between you know Just being the old-school and knowing what matters when you are a football player because I don't think that really changed from the 80s and 90s until now uh, But at the same time knowing that they have to be on the cutting edge uh, cutting edge. I'm sorry when it comes to uh, technology uh, he raved about the graphic designer that Arizona State hired. I think it was a very interesting point uh, for somebody in his position uh, to make. So um, I, I liked the hire when it was first announced, and I definitely uh, like it even more uh, when uh, I got uh, you and I got to meet uh,
2: with him in person today. One of the one of the things that he said that stood out to me the most was he got asked the question of what his opinion was on early signing day, mm-hmm. and I think he said the absolute perfect thing that you know it doesn't matter. It is what it is. It's just how you can work into that framework. It's about being forward thinking and it's about understanding that we're probably going to move to the point where if everybody can sign early, they're just going to do it. And so understanding that as the future, how do you model your behavior around that future? And so um, whereas there's a lot of kicking and screaming and dragging the feet in football when it comes to change, especially the level of control you have over getting the kids in your Program that you're supposed to be able to control and mold. Um, anything that kind of results in you not necessarily having control is something that is met with a lot of resistance, which I think is every area of life is probably like that. But I, I just, his reaction in that moment of like, well, it doesn't matter, what's the future and how do we take advantage of it, was one of the things that I think speaks really highly of him. And then one of the other things that I thought was interesting was he, um, what, it was what you said just now, in that, you know, the nobody else has anything like this. And while we're in a copycat situation, if it works, everybody else is gonna pile in on it, right? But you can't copy Al Luganville. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, if this works, ASU is currently in possession of something that it's really, really hard to duplicate uh, with other schools. You can develop an apartment like this, but you can't you can't take a football mind. Um, and, or, and you can't you definitely can't duplicate an athletic situation in which the president of the university all the way on down to the unpaid intern are all on the same page um, those are the things that I think are good um, but it still feels like they're making a gamble
1: mm-hmm.
2: on a future in which we have an educated consumer and maybe they're a little bit sick of you know, getting, you know, buttered up and having all the frills and everything like that. Um, do you think it can, do you think it can work? Do you think it's a worthy gamble?
3: Look, I, I think when, you know, when you're a program like USC or even Washington, while Al Bill said was, uh, you know, the best recruiting program in the Pac-12, if you will, over the last four or five years, maybe you can take a more of a gamble on those uh, so-called uh, ticking time bombs because... You got you got so many four stars, or maybe, let alone some five stars on your recruiting class, and if you have you know two three ticking bombs of high caliber players, so what? You know it's it's really next in line, and the drop off is probably not as drastic uh, when when it comes to uh, the the attrition process, and in a team like ASU, which you know let's face it, it's really most of the Pac-12 is in the same boat, um, you really have to hit a bullseye from you know from the get go, and not just amass. A bunch of a bunch of four-star players, some of them with, with with questionable personalities, where the roll of the dice is not as hard um, with a team like USC, Washington, maybe even UCLA, and Oregon to some extent, c- compared to a team like ASU, let alone the Oregon states and the Washington states of the world. But um, I think that um, yeah, sure, I mean, sure, the, 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 definitely a gamble, and um, and again, I mean, I think there's definitely a, an effort to have that fine balance with just like. You know, an old school approach like this doing stuff that has worked ever since football invented when it, to, when it comes to player evaluation but at the same time also really be forward thinking and like and like you said i mean it's i think it's really refreshing for a 70 year old person no matter if it's no right if it's part of a college football program or just any walk in life to say that what happened in the past doesn't matter i'm looking forward you don't hear that from a lot of 70, 80-year-old uh, people out there, no matter what their profession, what their walk of life is. So, so, so I really think that um, you know, that, that gamble that Arizona State taken is taken. I think it's still a calculated risk um, at, the, at the end of the day. I mean, I just feel that when you have somebody like, like Al Luganville heading your player personnel department, the leash, and I even feel weird mentioning that word, but the leeway that you're going to give somebody like Al Luganville is, is going to be quite expansive. Compared, um, you know, to other uh, director player personnel over here at the at ASU Which I'm not saying all of them did a bad job or anything But again, you can't stack any of those resumes against a resume like, like Al Bill. So I think just like with any new process, um, the real uh, um, The real fruits of your labor are going to show or not show to, th- you know, two to th- three years from now So hard to evaluate how it's going to work in the short term, but, but, but in the long term I think it definitely is some warranted optimism that the direction that Arizona State has taken and what Al bill's is doing in specific will work.
2: What he described to you personally feels to me like it was an NFL scouting department mm-hmm. where you have six or seven guys who spend a couple hours a day sitting around watching film. Um, that is interesting to me, that that everybody has to be on the same page so that when you go out to recruit mm-hmm. – you're recruiting on somebody's behalf. You're someone else's liaison. So as he said, you can, if you're the defensive backs coach out recruiting in the running back coach area, you can identify what it is that the running back coach wants, extend that offer, have the autonomy to extend that offer, and then turn around and hand that recruitment over to the position coach uh, as soon as possible. Um, it. And to me, it also seems like it's going to be one of those things where they're going to understand the ins and outs of every player that doesn't choose choose them. It seems like there's a real upside there. But I, I think the rub is, ultimately, you have to have continuity. So can ASU, especially, I mean, ASU fans have to be absolutely sick and tired of not having that continuity on staff over the last few years. Can you establish so much of an identity in that department that only keeping a few coaches around here and there... Keeps that culture intact. Is ASU going to be able to develop something that they can then keep intact if all of their assistants get better jobs next year? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the outstanding factor. There's something to be said about
3: the culture that the head coach establishes and how and how that trickles down uh, to to the rest of the department. I don't want to belabor um, somebody something like like Todd Graham and what he did right, what he did wrong, but when you have such an such an outgoing, transparent person like Herm Edwards. I think this can create a culture with your assistant coaches in specific that even if the grass seems a little greener somewhere else, if you are treated right, and I know I'm I'm really dumbing down this term, but I think that's what it really comes down to. If you are treated right as an assistant coach, maybe you're not so hot to trot to leave uh, Arizona State as you would be if it was a different head coach, who instituted a, a, a different a, a, a different type of culture, and 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 especially when you are conducting yourself in a rigid manner, if you will, but the results are not really following. Nick Saban, I'm sure, is just an absolute bear to work to work for. But uh, well, what's his average wins per year since he's been since he's been there? Eleven, twelve, four, five national championships. You're you're, you're just gonna simply put up with that and put up with that for a long time i mean someone like billy napier was i don't know a handful of years at alabama and probably did not get treated even half as well as he did at arizona state but as alabama you're not exactly itching to leave now again i'm not saying here that asu is going to be in alabama for the next two three years in terms of wins losses let alone national championships but um if, if if you do see the head coach instituting a culture that May not be easy to work with, but you there is a method to the madness. I think that you're more you, you are going to be more amped to stay. And again, I I'm not insinuating ins- at all that Herm Edwards is going to be a Nick Saban or Todd Graham in terms of the rigid nature uh, of of his personality. But but I think that just um, the culture that he's establishing at Arizona State um, will not light a fire under assistant coach X, or assistant coach Y. After one or two years, say, man, I I really I really need to need to get out of that place, need to get out of this place, and again, I don't think that um, has been the same culture for the last uh, few years with the mass exodus or I should say revolving door of assistant coaches we've seen in Tempe.
2: So what it feels like is uh, you you had a you know uh, a, a manually driven car that someone drove the hell out of and you were along for the ride or you weren't. And then you're trying to establish a culture in which you have a self-driving car where you know exactly what it's gonna do and you're part of that ride or you're not. And so it's interesting to see that it's still about point A to point B. You're still trying to get wins, but it's about uh, essentially working smarter and not necessarily harder, not putting so much on on one person's shoulders. Uh, One thing that absolutely fascinated me beyond probably everything else that he said was he was asked, like, are you looking for players like you used to get when you're around here, Eric Allen, guys like that. And he responded by instead of saying, yes, we want stars, he responded by saying, we were successful because we had four and five year players and we were deep at every position. And I think it was then that it clicked with me that what they're essentially attempting to do is to build something that can be sustainable that this is, all about, this is all about sustainability. As much as Herm Edwards says, we're going to try to win now. You know, he told Brad Denny on his podcast, there's no point in playing the game if you're not going to try to win. You play, you play to win the game, right? That's Herm Edwards. He's not going to be any different than that. I think every coach is the same. You'd rather win than lose. But also worrying about the overall health of the program long term and making sure that the guys that you're bringing in are guys that you think you can depend on three years down the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Al Luganville said ASU is lacking that is that something in your time you've covered this program for a long time you know he went back to the 80s to say look that health hasn't really existed since then you have a good season the next season you know everything sort of dips is that something that that, that uh i guess was as interesting to you as as it, as it was to me what was your take on that yeah no
3: absolutely and then and, and, you know even met in continuity earlier and in, in this podcast and continuity is everything when it comes to assistant coaches when it comes to the caliber of players uh, that you recruit and I know I'm saying the obvious over here, but if you're a program like KSU, which, which is gonna replace a head coach every five, six years, then continuity just gets, gets thrown out of the window. And all the byproducts, the positive byproducts of continuity go out of the window with it. I mean, look, of course you would have, you would love to have every recruiting class at Arizona State, out of you know 25 or 23 players being signed to have 15 Nikhil Harrys or or 15 Chase Lucases, but 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 that's really you know utopia, or that's really U, you know USC and USC USC and Washington territory, um, for example. But if you are confident enough in your player player development skills and not getting. A ready-made product, if you will, like you know, like like a Nikhil Hair, or or even like a Damar Richard or Kellen a few years back, then I think that's really where you you are worth your salt as as a coach, is us getting a player which you know you see the potential, and I know that, I know that can be you know acting act to to a cuss word sometimes in, in the world of world of college football, but but you see a player over here that. Like 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 I said. I mean, you see the pat, you see the passion. You see that he def- that the ceiling is still pretty high, and you have something to work with, and this player may not be you know hitting the ground running as a as a, as a freshman or a sophomore, but you feel confident enough that with your coaching ability and with the, the raw God-given talent of that player, that you're going to have somebody that's going to play a good three, four solid years at Arizona State. And um, one, one, one thing that a lot of people don't talk enough about is us having that um, class gap when you have the, the, just a very, a very senior, thi- uh, I'm sorry, a very thin senior class or a very thick senior class but, uh, but, uh, but a, very, very, a very thin uh, junior class on your team. When you have those gaps in classes, uh, people don't realize that, that really, really can um, hinder your abilities to have continuity and to have success. And then, obviously, if you don't have that many great, great upperclassmen, you're mortgaging the future, as, as we like to say. And bring a bunch of junior college uh, players. It seems like fans, you know, hate hate that more than more than anything else. And Herm Edwards said on many occasions, "I'm not going to bring a ton of college, junior college players in my, in my recruiting classes." So Arizona State, again, it's a gamble that they are not going to dip into the junior college ranks. They're going to get those kids out of high school that they believe that the ceiling is still pretty high but the potential is, is definitely there for them to be projected as solid three, four-year players. Um, that's obviously the harder route to go uh, when you get good good junior college players, and, and Todd Graham, to his credit, got excellent junior college players i he mean, was here at Arizona State, but that does catch up uh, in, in your recruiting cycle in later years. We saw that with Todd Graham, Prom Edwards does not want to repeat the same mistake, so uh, again, the solid three, four-year college player, maybe may, may Utopia, Maybe a huge gamble to go all-in in that route, but that's what Alan Luganville and Arizona State is going to
2: try to do. Um, I was just... I, when I boiled down everything that he said, he he basically said, like, look, we want to get in the door with the kids, and then the kids that we want are the big, tall, fast ones who want to win. Like, there's nothing revolutionary about that. Sure. That's technically who everybody should want. But also... He's saying, like, but we, we, you, you romanticize the kid that is um, maybe peaking at 16, 17 years old. Uh, they're shorter. Maybe they're super fast. Maybe they're stat stuffers. Uh, and, and colleges sort of fall in love with them. Um, and, and those guys, you know, he said those are the exception. And the rule is that the exception can't become the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, he wants the same thing that anybody else wants. Big fast, competitive guys but a lot of these guys that are big, fast, and competitive, they don't necessarily blow up Mm -hmm. like everyone else might and so um, ultimately, what does Arizona State have to do to essentially be unearthing diamonds in the rough the way programs like Utah do but at the same time still be more and have more of a brand recognition and more of a you know, Utah's been very competitive but at the same time they're almost viewed as an underdog being competitive every single year what does Arizona State have to do to get to that point where they're considered uh, one of the dominant teams in the Pac-12 what Ray Anderson essentially outlined while also going after guys that aren't necessarily on the radars of guys like us at rivals
3: yeah I I think um, basically it's a really making sure that no stone is left unturned. And again, going back to teams like USC, Oregon, Washington, they have the luxury to totally ignore huge geographical areas, and sometimes even in their backyard when it comes to UCM, UC, UCLA. I mean, you can only sign 25 players, and you know, the, even those programs sign 20 players uh, from the state of California. That leaves a lot for the rest of the Pac-12, including Arizona State, to really unearth so I think just the legwork and the foundation that Arizona State has, has to establish in California, in Arizona, in, in Nevada is, is essential. And, and again, I know I'm not you know, uh, stating any crazy revelation over here when it, when, it, when it comes to recruiting, but maybe former assistants, former staff at Arizona State did not leave their comfort zone. And Arizona State has to leave their comfort zone. I mean, we are talking about a huge recruiting weekend. Uh, this, this week and as we speak uh, in Tempe, we're having five, uh, I'm sorry, we're seeing five uh, prospects from the state of Louisiana. And again, the state of Louisiana um, has been kind to Arizona State in years past. I mean, Mark Norvell. Six classes
2: in a row, right? Yeah, six yeah.
3: classes in a row that at that least, least is one signing from Louisiana. And anyway, I give credit for somebody like Mark Norvell. Mark uh, Norvell that really established that the, you know three four or five years ago and arizona state and now with john simon who has just as many connections as the microville in that state of louisiana um they're they're, they're going to continue to hit that state hard arizona state does have some connections in texas especially with sean slocum may not as many as he did under todd graham but that's a state they're not going to ignore but um you know al logan bill talks about you know he didn't say the word what one tank of gas away from tempe but that's really Um, In a sense, what he was talking about, um, hitting Las Vegas, hitting San Diego, obviously hitting uh, Los Angeles and and the numerous suburbs uh, that can be considered suburbs of Los Angeles. I mean, that's really the the approach that Arizona State has to take. So, um, I think really just minimizing more the geographical area that Arizona State is going to concentrate on, even though you're going to dip into Texas, dip into Louisiana, dip into Hawaii with a coach like Sean Nua. And uh, the Polynesian connection over there, uh, but just be really, really thorough uh, with the amount of schools and the amount of players um, that you can expose, if you will, to the program. Let Alou and his staff work their magic in evaluating, in evaluating those players. Uh, I mean, again, you know, even a state, even a state like Nevada, especially a state like Las Vegas, with a population of uh, you know 1, 1. 1.5 million. There's still a lot of untapped potential over there that Arizona State has to capitalize
2: on, and that's definitely their plan to capitalize on uh, such areas. Now, you brought up the no stone left unturned thing. Arizona is two-thirds the size of California, mm-hmm. only has 20%, not even 20% of the population of California. It's spread out. we got 500 schools, and it feels like Donnie Antis is trying to hit all 500. Mm. And to some, it's like, well, why don't you just go to, make your face seen at Chandler every day. Make your face seen at Saguaro every single day. Be at these schools that where there's known commodities. But I'm seeing on social media coaches from out in, like, the Dysart area thanking him for coming by. Co- coaches in um, eastern Tucson, mm-hmm. you know, up in the Sabino, Tank Verde Mountain areas. Uh, Yuma, he's been to Yuma. You know, he, he literally is going about this in the way of, someone who would be recruiting in the 70s hit every high school talk to every coach so what you're saying is there's essentially a method to that madness that rivals uh 24 7 you know people like us they're not going to be able to get to everyone Mm. and you should be able to say that essentially that you that you did now if a coach unearths a player somewhere they're going to end up on our radar and we're going to probably rank them and and you know that's just the way that it goes but there but it's essentially a don't don't wait type situation get out there see what's out there not just for this upcoming class but for two or three years down the road i find it to be to me maybe it's not what i would do in that situation but it sounds like what you're saying is it absolutely fits in with with the philosophy that arizona state's trying to take know your footprint know know the lines in the toe and everything else know everything about that foot
3: yeah i mean again and not to belabor the point a school like arizona state when it comes to recruiting has to do more legwork than other teams in the Pac-12. That is just the brutal reality. Maybe that reality changes four or five years from now when the Al model, if you will, is just a well-oiled machine, and then you can afford to be picky, and then you can really turn down four stars um, in state that really want to come uh, and, and, be, and be a Sun Devil. Arizona State is nowhere close to that position, but maybe there will be one day. But right now, just being methodical just, just really uh, doing that legwork, uh, you know, visiting the, you know, points uh, of of the state of Arizona that haven't visited in a long, long time, because you just never know where where that next star player is, is going to come from. And obviously, if you're able to pull somebody from you know a from from Payson High School or from Yuma, Yuma Catholic, or just any other school that you would deem you know Baghdad, or anything like that, um, once you get that one player from that school then your incentive to come back to that school time and time again increases and then if that school somehow is getting now four five ten power five schools visiting them um they still have that warm place in their heart for arizona state not just being the in-state school but truly making the effort and like Herman says having
2: your your actions matches your words and vice versa so I, he was very and this is my last al luganville question but he said, you know, we're behind on 2019. Mm-hmm. And and to be frank, the way he made it sound is that we're behind on 2019. And to be honest, we might not catch up. Sure, um, But they're going to do what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. And they're going to try to set this model up going forward. you think people are going to be able to stomach that? Uh, that? That they understand they're behind on 2019 and it might not look the way that everyone ho- ho- hopes it looks. And ultimately, they don't care about the rankings, but they recognize that the rankings might reflect their efforts in this 2019 class. Do you, do you feel like people are going to understand that, that they're going to be able to comprehend it, or is it just got to win now? Because this doesn't... It never, to me, felt like this was a restart. But they're in the house, and they're got in the house, and they're remodeling this house, and it's starting to look the closer that you're... The more that you're around the program. No, this is, this is a full-on remodel with some very good parts that are already in place.
3: I'm not asking any ASU fan to accept mediocrity, and I know that's going to lead into our next topic that we're going to discuss in a few minutes, but uh, I think that realistically when you have a coaching change, the current recruiting class is really the one that's going to get affected the most. And I'm not talking about 2018 because you already established relationships with a a lot of those players, and you were still able to salvage um, a lot of that and obviously add some talent as um, you know you have like a Merlin Robertson or an Ashari Croswell that has such a tight connection with a new assistant coach like Antonio Pierce like it was just a given to come to Arizona State and the newness of that specific assistant coach actually worked uh, into your advantage in spades rather, rather than hurt you but at the same time when it comes to 2019 prospects you're just Naturally behind the curve because, as a new staff, you're not able to establish a relationship when it comes to other staffs that did have the continuity, and that's why 2020, 2021 um, is where Lugnab also said we're ahead of a curve. We're not we're not yielding to anybody. So I think this is this is the um, unfortunate byproduct when 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 you do have a coaching change. Um, but you know the early signing period may help a team like Arizona State with, with with a new coaching staff because a lot of players that got overlooked so far are some of the players that Arizona State is really going hard after. And now, when you have what, about two months less to battle with schools just because you have that early signing period in December, uh, that, that's something that can really help Arizona State's cause. Now yes, winning always matters. Um, and if Arizona State is somehow able to win more games uh, than last year then that can build more momentum towards that early signing period in December and maybe uh, prospects that haven't considered Arizona State that much just because the established relationship has not been there are now going to look at you at uh, in, you know in a different light and uh, you know maybe Arizona State is that is that new sexy girl when it comes when it, when it when it comes to recruiting that you just don't know about but you'd like to know a whole lot more about right um, so I think that the 2019 class, I don't want to say salvage because we don't have no idea how it's even going to start with no uh, public commit on the book, so to speak. But if you are able to win more games than you did last year, then I think this 2019 class is going to look a whole lot better than, than a lot of people would think. And look, I mean, give credit to Herm Edwards and his staff. Uh, that class, I can't say it enough. When signing day started, they started at number 85, at least on Rivals. They ended up at number 36. I, in my 18 years doing this, have never seen as big of a jump. I think a lot of recruiting analysts that have done it as much as I did, if not longer, said they would never, never saw a 50-plus spot um, re- recruiting jump on, on, on signing day. So um, I think that um, just, just by what we saw in 2018 class and how they ended it, I would give the staff the benefit of the doubt especially if this um, win-loss record doesn't take a huge step back from 2017. I, I, th- I think you should be cautiously optimistic about uh, what what the staff can do. And again, I think it's more fair to judge this class on the 20, 2020 and 2021, I'm sorry, yeah, the, I'm sorry, to judge ASU more on the 2020 and 2021 class results, you know, rather than, rather than 2019. But again, I would not say that uh, fans should brace uh for the impact of a subpar 2019 recruiting class we're still
2: somewhat early in the process to determine that so and this is totally me just make a baseball question about football (laughs) um but ray anderson hired his friend uh and herm edwards and sometimes our friends are the best people for the job sometimes the people that we know the best when especially when we know what needs to get done sometimes that works out um we're in a situation now where one of Ray Anderson's hires has fallen under public scrutiny, very much results oriented public scrutiny, nothing that is not understandable or deserved. There's no debate on this. ASU baseball is underperforming uh, via historical standards, um, and probably, maybe this is arguable, but I would say probably based on the roster that they have. Some of it is bad luck, um, some of it is youth. Uh, but ultimately you have an underperforming baseball program which is sort of you know football's the front porch basketball's the the car in the in in, in the driveway um, but you know for for Arizona State for the longest time the the pride and joy of their athletic program has essentially been baseball um, baseball's a really big deal in the state of Arizona uh, and and this program has been you know, a representative of that as a priority, uh, and has been a gold standard as far as you know where kids. It's still where kids want to go, regardless of the record. Mm-hmm. Ray Anderson had a press conference announcing that he that nothing. He announced nothing. That nothing's going to change. That you know, he answered a couple of questions that people had about when maybe something might change, but he just reiterated that the goals of the baseball program were to be elite. Period. Uh, I look at that. And um, now I look at football, and we know that he outlined his expectations for football, but I think using the baseball press conference and using that line of thought, we're looking at a situation where people probably need to have some patience, if need be, with Arizona State University football, Herm Edwards, Ray Anderson, the relationship. I mean, we're talking about probably evaluating how they're doing in 2021 uh as far as whether we make any concrete judgments on what's on what's going on um do you feel like what ray anderson had to say about tracy smith and the plan of action moving forward was forthright or potentially maybe as much as he could reveal Maybe there's a financial issue going on. Is Ray Anderson doing what he wants to do? And does that reflect on how he's gonna treat football?
3: I, I definitely think there's, there's a measure of stubbornness in Ray Anderson's decisions. And um, I think that when you see Todd Graham, that's sure, he had two horrific years at Arizona State in 2015 um, and 16. There's, there's no, no, no other way to state it. And nobody would blame Ray Anderson if he did fire Todd Graham after that debacle of a game in 2016. Which is uh, a point he's made. In, 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 in Tucson. And on the same note, fans are saying, okay, you know, I would, I could stomach, if you will, a Todd Graham firing after that horrendous Territorial Cup game. But he did turn it around. And that's where I think that Ray Anderson's stubbornness has, has um, come in because his mind was made up. I mean, some people told me that um, Ray Anderson was not a happy camper when Arizona State pulled that giant upset against Washington, winning 13, 13 to seven. Um, you know, and, and Ray Anderson already knew that once ASU lost to UCLA uh, in the Rose Bowl, a game that Arizona State should have won, that he already knew, okay, decision has been made because at this point, uh, Todd Graham is not winning more than seven games in the regular season. And, and that's the bar that, 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 that I did put in terms of retaining him or, or, or firing him. Um, now, I know it goes without saying that if Tracy Smith was not a Ray Anderson hire, that um, there's a good chance that Tracy Smith would not be the ASU skipper right now um, as we speak. And there is going to be, you know, there goes that word again, a longer leash that, 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 that has been given to Tracy Smith. Um, it's a decision that, that I personally do not agree with. I mean, I know youth um, is an issue, but um, some some will claim that Smith basically ushered out a lot of a lot of a lot of upperclassmen. So I think there's only so much you can go back to that youth card and say, well, you know, we're a young team and they're going to make a lot of errors, and and that and that, that that's that's just how it, that's just how it goes. But I feel that teams around the around the Pac-12 have been dealing with youth former skippers at Arizona State have dealt with youth at, at, one, at one point or another. And, and Tracy Smith, to his credit, is pulling in great recruiting classes in the, in the last couple of years, but it's really not manifesting um, on the field. And again, you're having teams with lesser recruiting classes when it comes to rankings, but having more proven upperclassmen, and that's why, you know, they're, they're preparing for the postseason right now, and Arizona State is sitting at home with back-to-back Sub 30 win season, something that has been the gold standard, as you mentioned, you know, in, in football, for example, something that was just a given to Arizona State Arizona State baseball fans. They knew, okay, we may not make it to Omaha or even to the postseason this year, but we can count on 30 wins. We can count on a team that is going to be much more competitive than not on, on, on any given day. So, um, I think that Ray Anderson, just in the last, uh, Six seven months has shown how much um, impatience and stubbornness he exhibited towards Todd Graham, and then just doing a one eighty in those uh, traits when it comes to somebody uh, like a, like like a Tracy Smith. Uh, I mean, you, you could definitely infer from what what Anderson said that Tracy Smith has to produce in two thousand nineteen. Um, and not to pat myself on the shoulder, but I predicted that Tracy Smith just won more than. 21 games, even if he didn't reach that 30-win plateau, that you know that the, the Ray Anderson would retain him. I mean, it'd have to be an absolute abomination, you know, just wins in the teens uh, for even Ray Anderson finding it hard to justify retaining retaining Tracy Smith. And by the way, some sources told me that Tracy Smith was worried about his job security, so um, I don't think he thought it was a given as he was heading towards another uh, sub-30-win season that he was going to be retained, but. Uh, um, you know, is, is there a financial issue? I mean, it's, it's really hard to say. I mean, I, I posted in the huddle that don't get stuck on the $12 million uh, buyout that Todd Graham has on paper because I know for a fact that settlement was for less and I'm guessing a good two, two three million less. I'm not saying that $9 million, for example, is peanuts and something and that's in a, in a program like Arizona State can just you know find out in the cushions of their couch and then just be done with it. Uh, maybe there was some financial element when it comes to Tracy Smith. But I think it's just really more of the stubbornness of Ray Anderson and more extending patience to his own hire to really see this through. That really, that really played a part. Um, I mean, in this, I mean, look, I mean, Ray Anderson, like any CEO of a company, has an ego, and I, and I don't think you should criticize anyone for having an ego because a lot of that's how you end up in that position. Exactly, that's how you end up in the position to begin with. And a lot of people with ego and and, and end up being successful and doing stuff that they don't care how it's perceived because. They feel that, that 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 there is some track record to that, so um, I think that that really played um, you know you know, more of a factor, a huge a huge huge roll of a dice for Ray Anderson, no no doubt about it, maybe a roll of a dice that um, you think he would make on one of the Olympic sports and not one of the big three sports, um, you know you know we'll see how it, how it pans out, but I personally, have, in all honesty, cannot blame anybody. Uh, that's not feeling too optimistic about the future of, a- of ASU baseball. I think at the end of the day you have to look at the track record. And even Tim Esme who uh, I think was harshly over criticized when he was brought here as a last minute stopgap after after the firing of, of Pat Murphy, did so much more with so much less when it, especially when it came to recruiting, recruiting class and, ca- and caliber of players um, com- compared, compared to Tracy Smith. And to see him not be extended you know the professional courtesy uh for lack of a better term uh com- compared to tracy smith is, is really mind-boggling and, and, and head-scratching but um again this is a ray anderson hire um and uh he i feel like any other hiring manager ceo out there will always give more um of the benefit of the doubt uh until that person 100 percent proves them wrong and ray anderson rightfully or not does not feel that like tracy smith has proven wrong, at least not yet.
2: So what's what's the baseline then for ASU baseball? I mean, what, I, I hate that we're even having, that is such an annoying thing because it's like mm-hmm. a countdown clock. It's a distraction from everything else that's going on. But you reach a point where you have to have some level of success at some point. Um, do they have to be
3: dominant? <sighs> I mean, that, that that's a real tough question to ask. I mean, look, I know the no-brainer statement is they have to make the postseason. That that's just the most no-brainer statement you can make. Uh, that would that would at least at minimum give Tracy Smith uh, job security beyond 2019. Um, I'd like to think that a super regional rather than just regional is what Tracy Smith has to accomplish uh, to uh, to retain his job beyond 2019. I don't think the uh, World Series is the um, demarcation line to keep or dismiss, uh, dismiss Tracy Smith. I know a lot of fans feel it should be, but realistically speaking, I think that Ray Anderson would be happy with just making to the Super Regionals. Again, when I say happy, just content, I should say, to retain Tracy Smith in that scenario. So I don't think Ray Anderson will settle just for Regionals. Uh, but I, 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 could, I, I could be proven wrong because I think after what happened in the last two years, a lot of people thought that Ray Anderson would really want to make his stamp with a good hire in baseball, and he hasn't done it uh, so far, obviously. Uh, then I guess maybe everything is on the table, but uh, I, I really think that the most definitive statement I can make that if ASU does not make the postseason, even if like, the first four out, what have you, I don't believe Jason Smith will be here beyond 2019. Ever, ever, so I stopped out here. Beautiful morning, babies, breathing, family, Ian. We're stronger, we're stronger, kids,
2: you're all the day. Beautiful morning, babies, breathing, family, Ian. We're stronger, we're stronger. The of a prince, I keep the placement your prince. i because you we got the mucus in your vents. I figured I would let you in on a little bit of uh, what Al Luganville had to say himself uh, when Hode Rubino and I got to ask him questions uh, on Friday. Now you can always check out his comments on devilsdigest.com. Uh, Hode provided a transcript of a lot of what he had to say so make sure you go ahead and check that out but um, first up you have Hode Rubino essentially asking Al Luganbill what the role of the coaches are uh, in recruiting are they compartmentalized do they stay away from the evaluation process are they part of the evaluation
0: process and here's what Al Luganbill had to say our coaches have the final say we sit in here two hours a day, five days a week as a total staff, and we watch players. The reason we did that, we did that for um, uh, the month of February, or January, and the month of February on the days that they weren't out recruiting, okay? So we had a dead period there, and then obviously February it's over with, and we went right smack throughout March and into April, every day. Every day in here, and it was a grind. But what we did is we set the tone at each position, so everybody heard it. The offensive line coach—he's well, a bad example because he—he does his own thing, right? <laughs> That's a bad example. The <coughs> secondary coach heard what the wide receiver coach wanted at wide receiver and what the program wanted so that when they went out we're not wasting our time looking at things that don't fit at the particular position so that is particular to arizona state because we have to decide what it is that an arizona state football player is going to look at or look like at each position therefore that's going to equate to what the team looks like Um, and the coaches and it's we our area is responsible for identifying we are responsible for the evaluation process that's different than evaluation the process includes area coach player personnel department position coach coordinator (coughs) And now we're getting into ranking the 19 class because we we finally feel comfortable in doing that. We haven't felt comfortable with it. The 20s and 21s, we feel very, very comfortable where we are with them at this stage. Um, so uh, it's, it's a fine line um, from being, how should I say it, getting stuck in a situation where people don't understand what you're trying to do and in the DNA, just like you said there, there was a perception in your mind the coaches are divorced from it. Mm-mm. It's Zach the office. They are involved in it every day. And along with Coach Edwards, make the final decision. And uh, you know, I, I, I've been extremely impressed so far with this coaching staff who came from all walks of life. Some were here, some weren't even coaching and they're back here, some were at other schools, and it's all come in here and they have worked their tail off and haven't, they have not, um, there's been nothing but buy-in. That's a term we use around here. and. Uh, I respect them for that because the guys that were here before, we don't care what went on before. We're not into that. It doesn't that doesn't affect us one bit right now. It doesn't, it's negative energy. Let's go forward. Let's do be the best we can today. And I know that's a cliche, but it's true. You look at your good programs. They don't worry about what happened in the past. That's over with. The good, solid program reloads. That's bottom line. They reload. And uh, if four years down the line, if you'd said to me, somebody in this conference that we would look to as somebody that's done it in the West, I would point to the University of Washington. Yeah, everybody forgets where they were four to five years ago. That's all forgotten because they went to what? One playoff. Got the rear ends kicked, but they went to a playoff. And they won the Pac-12. So all that was forgotten. But so what what I'm saying there, and they've done a heck of a job of continuing it. It's um you know and they are very we look at them and we're they're in a big metropolitan area not in a highly populated state very similar the difference is we're much closer by a ton to a heck of a lot more good football players and you know that we'll see what happens down the line one of the questions that i had for al lugan bill was essentially
2: you know he he worked with Rivals, he did our Rivals camps for the longest time. Former Rivals CEO, uh, Eric Winter, and Al Luganville, they go back a long time, and so he would help with the camps. And one of the things I asked him is just being around all of the best recruits in the country, you know, when they're grouped together, the top 100, top 150 kids in the country, and, and seeing them, you know, knowing that a lot of those kids earned their rankings by essentially peaking. You know, they're playing their absolute best football at 16, 17 years old, but some of them, they stay at that peak for a long time. Um, you know, I, I asked him, essentially, are those the kinds of kids that he's looking for? Uh, or is he essentially looking for um, the, the diamond in the rough type um, that, that essentially is going to peak maybe closer to 21, 22,
0: 23 years old? And here's what he had to say. Let me say this to you. We could care less of the star rating. We don't care. If they fit our DNA at that position, we're going to evaluate them and see where they fall. We do evaluate the caliber of football they're playing. That's important. But you've hit the nail right on the head. And you've basically described us. We know there's good football players out there. Have they maxed out or do they have an upside? And myself, through the years, made a living off the upside. That's that's me, okay. Arizona State, um, and we're not unlike probably eighty percent of the Power Five right now. There's a few in the Power Five that can go around the country and pretty well get into a home, uh, offer, do whatever they want. There's probably 10 to 15 schools like that. We're not in that yet. We want to get there, and it's going, we're going to work our tail off to get there, but you will not, I don't know what you'll see us in recruiting rankings. Really don't care. That's not the deciding point. The deciding point is, where are they when they get here and they get on the field? Uh, You will see a decided difference in the incoming offensive linemen this fall than what you've seen here previously. I'm not guaranteeing that any of these kids are going to play early, but you're going to see a difference in them physically. Um, that will be an example you won't see that on defense this year because we didn't have the opportunity to get to that point you'll see a six two and a half to six three maximum he's a darn good football player you'll see a young man out of Texas what is Matisse six two six Maybe? Pushing.
1: We'll
0: say that. Yeah. yeah. We're giving him, at 6'2", we're giving him. He's a heck of a football player. We have no idea what this guy's going to do when he gets here. Because he's he's undersized. We don't know what's going to happen when he lines up against <clears throat> any of these, uh, Cole Cabrill or somebody like that. We have no idea. But... Uh, that's what I'm talking about. There's a there's a line of demarcation there. On the other side of saying that, you've got a Stanley Lambert coming in here. That's six four. Uh, the other day, he's a boy in two fifteen plus. He's a track guy that beats other guys in races that he shouldn't be beating. He can run. He does uh, He. we have no position for him right now. He will find a position. He's tall, he's athletic, he's also a part of that December group. Okay, so we. there's so much unknown with this class coming in where that won't be the case in the future. We know more about our 19 class now, and they haven't even been signed, than we did... The 18 guys, (laughs) we don't even know who we're gonna get, but we know more about them.
2: With all of the scouting that Arizona State does with Dan Cozetto, uh, there, Al Luganville there, Fred Gamage, Ryan Rizak, and all of the coaches coming together to evaluate a lot of these kids, and I understand most of the kids that they evaluate on film, they're not going to get. But essentially, they said, you know, they're building lockers or big files on each of these players and what their strengths and weaknesses are and everything like that. Uh, I asked him what the role of evaluating all of these kids um, would ultimately play in their ability to scout their opponents uh, once those kids end up, if they end up,
0: committing to other Pac-12 schools. We will play probably against two-thirds of the kids that we don't get at Arizona State, we'll play against. Because of our footprint. So with that being said, we're uh, we're in constant evaluation there. Because we're evaluating every roster in the Pac-12. And we're constantly evaluating our own roster, and so um, two things happen there. We are an open book to the NFL. Let's come on in, boys. You're you're welcome. Come on in. Whatever you need, we're going to help you with. That helps our players, and that helps our program. So that. That alone for our players is important to know.
2: And one of the last things that I asked Al Luganville about was uh, the model that Arizona State has set up. Seems to me like Arizona State is essentially betting on the kids, that you have in this day and age an educated consumer. Um, kids who know more about recruiting, they know what coaches bring, they know what coaches can promise, they understand depth charts, uh, You know, they, they really know their worth, um, they, they understand the degree programs that they, they might want to go into. Um, Ultimately that the, those statements that Al Luganville made are also a little bit at odds with with what Herm Edwards had to say as far as you know kids don't really know what they want and you have to tell them what they want when you're recruiting them. Um, but I would say that ultimately at least from the time that Al Luganville was last on a college coaching staff and recruiting kids that that level of, of, of education uh, for the for the student athlete that's picking the school has grown exponentially or at least the potential, for it uh, has grown exponentially and so I essentially asked Al Luganville if this entire system that they have set up with trying to be as transparent as possible with recruits and telling them what they have to offer and telling them how they'll be used and what the development plan is uh, for them while they're student-athletes is essentially their version of, of betting on an educated consumer and assuming that the age of coaches just blowing smoke and making empty promises uh, to these kids is coming to a close. And here's what he had to say.
0: I, again, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. You, you've simplified the process uh, to get to that point. And, and I, uh, the biggest thing there is making sure that we stayed within our DNA and we've got the passion got to have those two things. And that, at times, uh, is at odds with uh, the high school community, maybe the fan base. I, I I don't know. But philosophically, it puts all of our people on the same page, from the president of the university right on down to our recruiting assistants. They, I mean, Ray Anderson knows as much about what we're doing here in player evaluation as any of our uh, these people in this room. We've met with him. We've gone through it after having evaluated it. So uh, I think you're right. Uh, how you got to that point is... What we're trying to get to, <laughs> okay? We're not there yet. But we have a definite, definite plan. Now we've got to execute it.
2: So that's a lot to digest there's a lot going on as far as arizona state's ability to um, evaluate to recruit for coaches to be in agreement on who they go after on the ways in which uh, coaches handle recruiting, you know, whether it's somebody who's handling their regional spot and then handing that person off to a position coach right away and then multiple uh, people from the staff essentially all attacking the same objective of getting a kid on campus. Um, Al Luganbill talked about a lot about the fact that he thinks that they're behind in the 2019 class, that the 2019 class might end up being a little bit rough, uh, that they're not optimistic, but they feel really good about 2020, feel really good about 2021, and they'll see how this model fleshes out as they move forward. Um... The whole thing is just incredibly interesting to me. It's not necessarily something that I've ever seen done before. Uh, On the plus side, I love the transparency of it. I love the manpower that goes into it. I love the idea of everybody being on the same page. I love the amount of time that they spend evaluating film. Um, If there's any negative, ultimately it just sounds like they've, uh, they've turned trying to get big tall fast kids into a whole thing (laughs) into a really large process i mean you know if everyone at a certain position has to be a certain height if everyone has to have a certain length um you know, then that really eliminates the people that you're going after and and, and really brings it down to a subset. And then, you know, you might bring in the occasional person that, you know, the exception, as they call it, somebody that doesn't necessarily fit in with the exact thing that you're looking at. Um, But they want uh, essentially something that they can develop into uh, NFL size. They're looking to be a program that develops people into good players. Do you want to play football? Are you a big enough piece of clay for these coaches to mold, uh, all right, then let's go ahead. You know, and, and that, um, there's some advantages in that i think that utah does a pretty good job of of seeking out the diamonds in the rough and develop them developing them over over four to five years i mean we've seen guys leave arizona like jj dealman without asu offer and then have utah turn him into an nfl prospect over a five-year period so you know i think utah they essentially do things like that you've seen uh the the type of depth that they aspire to have is something that washington's done a really good job of of building on i think think that uh, Oregon uh, at least on their defensive line they just take the biggest most athletic people they can find and work on turning them into football players over time and so you know Arizona State has an opportunity there's a blueprint other people have already done this and the fact that other people have already done this is 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 going to be what makes it uh, a little bit easier. That's Arizona State's not completely stepping out on its own and doing something new and revolutionary. The re- new and revolutionary thing for them is to actually have it uh, compartmentalized and have it as a department and have everybody be on the same page and have them communicate and have someone with the wealth of experience of, of a guy like Al Luganbill and and uh, you know and people consulting like Dan Cosetto and um, you know having that level of experience be involved in the players that you evaluate so that you feel comfortable and and you are able to achieve the objective that Herm Edwards wants to achieve, which is to not have players come in here and ultimately flame out, um, is something that I I feel like um, is definitely worth watching. Will it succeed? You know, are they doing too much for a system that's ultimately too simple Um, Are they uh, closing themselves off from recruits that could ultimately help? You know, how many of those exceptions are they going to ignore? Arizona State's already a team um, that doesn't really want to have that many walk-ons around uh, they didn't really have very many under, under Todd Graham, University of Arizona used to have a ton of walk-ons every single year that would ultimately end up being contributors for them uh, Arizona State, not necessarily and so, you know, does ASU essentially want to get away from having that all together? I think they're at 77 scholarship players right now uh, when you're, you know, allowed to have 85 on it, most teams do everything they can to absolutely max that out you know, is Arizona State's serious about following through on what herm edwards had to say on you know on not necessarily even needing a very big roster um the whole cuts thing uh has been something that i've been thinking on for a while you know it seems like they used this scouting department to essentially look internally at the players that they had um and every team does help players move along uh, but not every team just says, like, hey, don't play football anymore. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I, I think Arizona State set a really bad tone early on by essentially cutting a couple of kids who really wanted to be there um, and, moving, and moving on from them. I've never seen a team flat out remove a redshirt freshman. You know, not even say, like, hey, let's, let's work to help you find, you know, somewhere else to play, but essentially just tell him, like, you don't fit. Bye. And that's a problem for me. That's a problem for me. And I, if you don't know who I'm talking about, I'm talking about Lauren Mondy, who, who committed to Arizona State when he was 14 years old, held that commitment all the way through his freshman year, uh, redshirted as a freshman, Is kind of a tweener uh, as far as, you know, whether he could play defensive line or whether he could play linebacker and, you know, has family connections to Todd Graham. And a new staff comes in and three days after this guy scores a touchdown in the spring scrimmage, uh, they tell him it's not going to work out for him at Arizona State. A player that has four years left of eligibility, you know, they tell him to move on. And it's not like this is a kid that struggles in the classroom. You know, nobody spent more time wanting to be a Sun Devil. Nobody spent more time wanting to be a Sun Devil than Lauren Mondi. No one. And I will tell you this, somebody who elects to go play football for a school when they have other options, somebody who makes that commitment, somebody who comes in, goes to class every day, goes to practice every day, They are eternally much more of a sun devil than someone who gets paid to show up. So I have a little bit of a problem with coaches coming in and taking players that want to be here, that have a lot of eligibility left, and telling them to pack their bags or clean out their locker. I don't think that sets the right tone. I think there's already enough risk going into all of the experiments that Arizona State is ultimately doing to see if they can sort of revolutionize the college football model into this new leadership model. Can you bring in an NFL coach who, you know, had two winning seasons out of the seven or eight that he coached and have him be successful in college when he's been on television for eight years? Can you do it with holding on to half the staff that you used to have when you had a bunch of problems with the way things were run can you do it with bringing in new people and having them subscribe to something that hasn't been done before can you have a scouting department can you have um, less than the 85 scholarship uh, people you know can you do all of these things can you change all of these things and ultimately achieve Ray Anderson's goals of being top three in the Pac-12, competing for the Pac-12 South Championship every single year, getting four- and five-star recruits. Um, You know, can you achieve Ray Anderson's goals by doing this amount of tinkering, even if everybody is ultimately on the same page? And nobody ever accused Arizona State of not being innovative. But to me, there's nothing innovative about cutting a freshman. That's the type of thing that I don't want to see. I don't want to see them essentially bring a professional business model to what is a student athlete experience. If you're paying these kids, then fine, do whatever you want. But as of right now, this is still amateur sports. Uh, you have somebody who wanted to be here since he was 14 years old. You know, maybe you don't like the amount that he can lift, maybe you don't like that he's a tweener, maybe you don't like that he's tall. Uh, and you, you tell them to take off. But ultimately, that's a failure of coaching before you actually ever get a chance to do any coaching. Coach's job is to coach up a kid. you got four years to do it, and you don't have the confidence in yourself that you can get the job done, so you tell them to leave? That's not somebody who's taken a paycheck to be a Sun Devil. That's someone who elected to be a Sun Devil over other options that they had. You're the ones taking paychecks. They are more of a sun devil than you will ever be. Coaches come and go. The players that wear that uniform, that go through all four years, five years, that's forever. So I would say that if Arizona State wants to set the right tone, um, potentially reevaluate the idea that you're going to have to cull this herd, kick off a bunch of guys uh, that that could ultimately contribute. If the coaches just do the job that they're paid so much money to do. If you come in and you feel like somebody's not motivated, you're getting a paycheck. Find a way to motivate them. If you come in and you think someone's not lifting enough, hasn't improved enough in the weight room, you're getting paid. You figure it out. If someone needs to learn their position, you are a coach. You coach. That's your job. This isn't professional football. Not yet. And until it is. There are some things, some traditions, that you should essentially abide by. Give a kid a chance. If he's here two, three years, and you don't feel like he's going to be able to contribute, help him move on. But you don't kick a kid off the team who was committed for four years. Four years. Who all he ever wanted to be was a Sun Devil. You don't kick that kid off the team just because you're not confident in your own coaching abilities. Because ultimately, what does that mean for the class coming in? Arizona State didn't have a lot of say in as far as the current staff and the way it's put together, didn't have a whole lot of say in the twenty eighteen kids that are coming in. What are they gonna do with Michael Matus, who comes in here six foot two defensive lineman? Tell him to pack his bags in the middle of Camp T? Do your job. Coach the players up. If it's a guy like Dion Gwynard and he has one year left and you want to move on from him, I personally find that weird. But, I mean, that's a completely different situation. But they're not excited. <laughs> this is a coaching staff that has been very honest. They don't like the look of the defense. They don't like the height. They don't like the athleticism. They're not super crazy about this class they have coming in. It's going to be tough to overcome stuff like that when when you're out of favor before you have a chance to earn it. All because the coaches don't have enough faith in their own ability to try to do their jobs. If you want to be looked at as the coaching staff that is transparent and that has the integrity and has everything that Ray Anderson promised when he brought in a guy that hasn't coached in eight years and that guy put together a motley crew of a staff that had to replace coordinators who bailed, you're gonna have to do some things that are a little bit different than you did at the professional level. This isn't hard knocks. There's not gonna be a dramatic filming of, of, of somebody you know being told to keep their head up and, and, and get off the team. This is people's college football experience. This is their education. If you've got seven scholarships to spare, you can afford to keep a freshman on for one more year to see what it is that you can get done. If they want to cut this roster down to 60 players, they're going to get wrecked. And everyone, there's not a single person out there that's not speaking from uh, a position of pure fandom that would say that having a, a, a thinned out roster is going to be helpful or that getting rid of kids early on is going to be helpful. Kids that want to be Sun Devils. Nobody's perfect. No coaching staff is perfect, and they're not, they're, they've got a vision. Arizona State's coaching staff, Herm Edwards, Danny Gonzalez, Rob Likens, they have a vision for what it is they want to do. Don Yontes has a vision for what he wants to do in local recruiting. Um, but they're going to make mistakes. I feel like cutting Lauren Monty was a mistake. Uh, I feel like they're going to make some other mistakes, and you have to be honest about those mistakes. You have to be honest about the fact that you have people who are new to this that are out there acting like they're new to this. So, you know, we'll see. We'll ultimately see if they're successful. But I think we're, we're at the point where we're already seeing some early signs that if it isn't, there's some stuff that you can point back to. I'm optimistic, I'm personally optimistic that this team with the parts that they have has the ability to compete immediately You know, but they're in a situation right now where if Manny Wilkins gets hurt, they have two quarterbacks on the roster. One of them has injury issues. And, you know, the, they, they've, they've definitely, they're, they're definitely taking some risks here. So let's just hope the season hurries up and gets here so that we have less of these things to talk about that Herm Edwards says and does, or this coaching staff says and does that aren't necessarily, you know, field of play Saturday related. But for right now, I hope you've enjoyed the opportunity to get to know a little bit about uh, what Arizona State plans on doing as far as their recruiting. I want to thank Hode Rubino uh, for being a guest on the Devil's Junkie podcast. Uh, as always, appreciate what he does. Appreciate everything about Devil's Digest and the opportunities they give me to talk to you, Arizona State fans. Make sure that you support uh, local media. Subscribe to devilsdigest.com. I think it's $8.33 a month when you pay for an annual subscription. Make sure that you're subscribed. We love to talk to you in the huddle. And uh, the this has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. We'll catch you next time. I was
1: living in a devil town.
0: I didn't
1: know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. All my friends were vampires. I didn't know they were vampires. I was a vampire myself in a devil town I was there Devil town, didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, who brings me down about the devil town?